1: Yes, it is. And welcome back. We have a packed show for you today, not only with news and items and guests, but happy to take your calls as well at 602-508-0960. Our Attorney General Mark Burnovich is suing the federal government, the Biden administration on their recently announced vaccine mandate. He'll be joining us in the next segment I also want to do a shout-out to my good friend and the vice president of all things important here at Salem, Phoenix, Chris Llewellyn, who will be producing Pro Tem today. If you call, say hi to Chris. Chris, how are you? You doing well? Pro Temping. Pro Temping. Pro Temping. Yeah, Pro Temping. Yeah, Pro Temping. You wear it well. You wear it well. Let's um, I want to do Mark Milley. I want to do a lot of things. But let me just start with this. It's reminiscent somewhat in reverse of the fact that the week after the election in 2020, the presidential election, we um, were told that a vaccine was developed and would be shortly distributed a week after the election in 2020. Um, I see today breaking news out of Los Angeles Today, Los Angeles County is planning on issuing a new health office order that will require proof of vaccination for indoor bars, wineries, breweries, nightclubs, and lounges. It will also require proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test for outdoor mega events, including such things as Dodgers, Rams, and Chargers games. So, in other words, the largest county in California is now going back to the status quo ante of lockdown and shutdown. And it makes me um, think of the old Dana Carvey church lady refrain, um, isn't that curious? They waited today. Isn't that a coincidence? Isn't that special? They waited till today because none of this data, of course, would have existed last week that they needed to do this or next week. By the way, (laughs) there's an interesting subtle point behind all this, too, isn't there? Which is to say if California was doing right by its citizens with regard to covid, if L.A. County was doing right by its citizens with regard to covid, would they need to reissue these mandates? There's there's two parts to this. One, the timing after the special election or the recall election, that's when this gets announced. I'm sure. I'm sure there was no coordination between Sacramento and L.A. on this. I'm I'm sure of it. He said sarcastically. But the other is the fact that they need to engage in harsh mitigation measures <laughs> that Gavin Newsom never said would happen. That no Democratic elected leader ever said would happen again in California. The day after the election, it gets announced. Now, I know it's maddening and it's frustrating, and it makes you want to pull your hair out in some cases. In other cases, you know, you you may want to think about what just transpired in California, where a majority of California voters looked around, looked at the blight looked at the failure, looked at the rising crime, the rising taxes, the rising prices, including in gas and housing and food, the increasing regulation, the increasing expense of living there, and to repeat, yes, the crime and the homelessness skyrocketing. And they said, all good, all good. Where does this come from? I don't know. But it is not good for a society to get used to decadence. It is not good for a society to get used to decadence. And perhaps it's something of the fault of the media not calling out certain politicians. Perhaps it's the fault of too many Republicans staying quiet and silent and keeping their own counsel or too many conservatives. But there is a disconnect from the normal statements, the commonsensical statements Americans generally, including Californians, say and how they behave. It's a very interesting thing. How did uh, Charles Murray put it in his book? Do... What we do, not what we say, is the message liberals keep communicating. But to do what they do is to increase, in this case, crime, welfare, homelessness, drug use, rising prices, rising taxes, unaffordable housing, you name it. I didn't even mention the lack of a forestry program, which now gives California something I don't think any other state has. A fire season that people have also gotten used to. They just say, well, it's fire season, as if that's something to be normalized and accepted. We say that we desire from our children, what, more civility, perhaps more responsibility, more maturity. But in our schools, we steadfastly refuse to teach right and wrong. We say we want law and order. Most people do, or at least safety. But we allow criminals, including violent ones, to return to those same streets. Or if you're in California, to downgrade crime so that you know you get a free pass if you steal less than a $1,000 worth of commodities. We say we want to stop fatherlessness, particularly in the communities that can least afford it. And yet, we continue to subsidize subsidize all kinds of behavior that virtually guarantees increasing rates of fatherlessness. We say we wish we could diminish, decrease, discourage teen sexual activity, But in classrooms all across America, now even in kindergarten and preschool classrooms, we're teaching children to be more and more cognizant of what they can do sexually. We say that we want more families to stay together, but we increase the dangers and apologize for and excuse away the very kinds of behaviors that break families up. We say we want, or at least did until t- two years ago, wanted a colorblind society that judges people by who they are, not what they are. And yet we continue to count by race, skin, and pigment, and now even shame people for being born into the wrong one, race, skin, or pigment. We say we want to encourage virtue and honor among the young, but somehow it became sophisticated to say that kind of thought is merely subjective and the imposition of morality. We say we want to recover a sense of our educational missions in life and in schools across our country. We want our children to know more. And yet, we have turned over education to the organizations least interested in student well-being, while textbooks and curricula are designed not around the notion of right and wrong answers, but around the notion of right and wrong feelings. Plato said the answer to how to create a good education is fairly easy. Have the right teachers, have the right scholarship, and teach men to be good men who act nobly. This was not a subjective point for Western civilization. It's become a subjective point now. So there's this huge disconnect between the things we say we want and the things we tend to keep voting for. And California is a perfect example of that. It has its other struggles, of course, that other states don't have. But if we thought this was an election in California yesterday to turn around. Increasing rates of poverty, increasing rates of homelessness, increasing rates of drug use, increasing rates of prices for basic needs, increasing regulation and increasing crime. If we thought this was an election to turn that around, it wasn't. It was an election that doubled down on it and will give us a lot more of it. God save California. We know Larry tried to. I'm Seth Liebson. Mark Burnovich coming right up. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson show in this getting used to decadence thought that I was kind of experimenting with and playing with here. Um, I, uh, I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about what's going on right now with Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Mark Burnovich is just filing something. He said he'll join us in a segment or two. He'll be with us this hour. Um, I just I I just I just find it really telling that rather than even trying to avoid the story and go silent on it, which is typically what the journalistic class does when they're engaging in bias. Most bias is in what they don't tell you. I found it odd to watch the media and the Democrats same concept the media and their the let's try it this way the Democrats and their communications arm known as the media defending Millie not ignoring it uh, everyone from the late night journalists with names like Steve Colbert to former and retired generals who have served in democratic administrations like Barry McCaffrey Steve Schmidt who was part of the Lincoln Project? How he holds his face in public after the scandals there, I have no idea. Uh, they all said, Joy Reed, Joy Bahar, they all said that Millie was a hero for doing what he did, calling his Chinese counterpart and telling him that we're not planning in attacks, that we will give them a heads up if we ever were to attack, undermining the President of the United States. It's an interesting thing they're doing this. If you think the left doesn't maintain any positions in which you can grasp onto and understand, you're right, because once upon a time, something known as civilian control of the military was not only something that General then-George Washington, then-President Washington supported, but Alexander Hamilton and James Madison and the entirety of the left, the entirety of the liberal communities community of America was all about civilian control of the military, and we are too, and we are too. One of the few things about America... That left and right used to agree on one of the one of the things they used to agree on: civilian control of the merit of the military, having a rogue chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff disobeying the wishes of his commander in chief. It's not as if this. I, I understand General Milley likes to wear the uniform of World War II. There were some great heroes in World War II. But ask some of these generals what happens, maybe start with MacArthur, when you disobey the President of the United States of America. It's a scandal. It's a scandal. And in any other normalized world, he'd be gone by now. There are a few things that do temper it, I have to say, and it's worth noting. It's worth noting. The first thing is Bob Woodward isn't always the most reliable source. But when you have the White House evading and justifying, as they are now, you kind of come to the sense that maybe Bob Woodward had this one right. And when you see people proudly strutting over what General Milley did, you kind of think maybe this wasn't invented. Joy Bihar, I liked her comment the best. She said, I know you're not supposed to have generals acting in disrespect of the president, but this isn't a normal time. So the Constitution to the left matters only when they want it to, only when they want it to. But notice that it wasn't a normal time. To Joy, and I suppose the rest of the people I was mentioning. And so the rules go out the window. Who gets to decide what's a normal time or not? Just because Nancy Pelosi announces that we're in a constitutional crisis because Donald Trump made a call to his counterpart in Ukraine, far less damaging, far less damning. First of all, it was to an ally. Second of all, it was no breach of any kind of national security or desires of the president because it came from the president, who is the commander-in-chief. Think about that. Nancy Pelosi said we were in a constitutional crisis requiring impeachment of the president for a phone call to an ally. Here you have the, General of the, Joint Chief, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff making a call to, at best— At best, a competitor. At worst, an enemy. And they defend it. They actually defend it. So the thing that haunts me the most is something my general manager, Jim Ryan, and I were talking about. must have been about a month ago. And it was when Rand Paul had the goods... On Anthony Fauci and was talking about gain-of-function research, and Jim said to me something that also in normal times would have been right, which was, this will be the biggest scandal of the year if Fauci's right. And I said, excuse me, I'm sorry, if Rand Paul is right, this will be the biggest scandal of the year. Got it? If Rand Paul is right, this will be the biggest scandal of the year. Well, it's appearing right. And that's why you're seeing less and less on the story. Things that should be scandals aren't. Things that aren't are turned into them by the crisis industrial complex. It is a street that runs in two directions. They don't just make Everests out of speed bumps. They make speed bumps out of Everests. That's the left. You're right. It would have, in normal times been the scandal of the year. In normal times, this would be the scandal of the year, what Mark Milley did. Has anyone ever come up with an analogy that comes or a a comparison in history of anything that comes close to the phone call Mark Milley is proud of and that the president of the United States, Joe Biden, is supporting him for? Full and complete confidence in him? Someone said about joe biden's vaccine mandate that it's unconstitutional he said the only problem is i don't know if this is a country with a constitution anymore that's right that's right i'm creaking bumper stickers i think i believe in the constitution an endangered species Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Lipsen Show. In thinking about media biases, I was talking about it before. I did say most of it is what they don't tell you, what they don't report. Um, You can think about that in the context of edited clips. You can think about that in the missing context provided to almost everything Donald Trump, quote unquote, got in trouble for saying. But immediately I do have to qualify that that's not where all the bias comes from. Sometimes it's just shameless, and it's becoming more and more so. The Washington Post, let's take that as, I don't know, one of the top four, if not top two, most important newspapers to the establishment. Yeah, probably New York Times. Probably the order is New York Times- Second place is shared by The Wall Street Journal and Washington Post. I think that's fair, and then uh, third is uh, probably third or fourth is probably uh probably the l a times so the washington Post second most important paper to the establishment in this country. Um, this is a news story by a news editor and a news reporter. Those are the bylines from the Washington Post yesterday from timothy bella and paul fari maybe some of you knew this guy i didn't this host who passed away he's a radio host in denver bob Enyard. i don't know if you know of him i don't so they decided to write a story about radio hosts who have died from covid having been down on the vaccines so the headline of this is fifth radio host to decry vaccines has died from COVID. Fifth radio. Now, you know, I, 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 can, I can think of any number of things people die from that don't become stories in the newspapers like this. But listen to this paragraph. This is the Washington Post, not an op-ed. Listen to this. I'm quoting verbatim. Four conservative radio talk show hosts bashed coronavirus vaccines. Then they got sick. The Denver hosts' comments are another example of talk radio being an often overlooked space for coronavirus misinformation. This is a news article in The Washington Post. Can I do that sentence again? This is another example of talk radio being an often overlooked space for coronavirus misinformation. Is that, is that, is that an opinion? Or is that actually front page worthy news in the second most important paper to the elite in this country? Talk radio being an often overlooked space for coronavirus misinformation. Well, I don't know these talk show hosts, and because days are long and busy and full, I haven't had a chance to listen to their shows. It's okay. I don't need to. My point is when the Washington Post publishes stories about... Vaccines or masks or children or groceries or hard objects and the COVID virus or the lethality of the virus after vaccination. And they've had to issue corrections to every one of those stories or write subsequent stories that fully 100 percent and 180 degrees contradict the items I just mentioned, is that in any way considered culpability for misinformation? I told you, uh, folks, and we did a bunch of this last week, that I now have in my hands, and I just haven't had the time to write it up, a list of now 15, it started with 10, now 15 things The quote-unquote experts and scientists have told us about COVID that have turned out to be exactly the opposite of the truth. Fifteen. There's probably more. I've also said I will put up my record of what I've said and written since March of last year against Anthony Fauci's. All have been more right. Don't you dare tell me, Washington Post, that talk radio is the house of coronavirus misinformation. Don't you dare. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It is a delight to welcome back to the airways our Attorney General Mark Burnovich, who's making national news today. He often does making national news today. Thank goodness he is uh, the first state attorney general to file suit against the Biden administration over their new coronavirus vaccine mandates. General, welcome back. Do you like our traveling music?
2: I will tell you what, Seth, thank you, my brother, for playing me a little scarlet begonias. I will tell you what, I got a little bit of a headache, but that put me in an instant good mood. All
1: right, well, I mean, it's better than coming in with Touch of Grey, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. It's a whole lot of water to cool
1: me down. All right, brother. Talk to me about suing Joe Biden and the administration over these vaccine mandates. The first thing I got to tell you, General, the first thing I heard when I heard Joe Biden say that is, how is this constitutional? And then I thought, well, I don't know if we still have a constitution. We do. You're trying to save it here. Talk to us.
2: Well, thank you, Seth. And and I... As you know, I have filed multiple lawsuits against the Biden administration. Even going back to my days at the Goldwater Institute, I've been a constitutional conservative. And the fundamental question we should always ask anytime the federal government does anything, Republican or Democrat, is well, where do they get that power? And our lawsuit basically said that the Biden administration, by mandating vaccines for federal employees, contractors, private businesses, is... Um, it's unconstitutional because there's no authority. There's nothing in the Constitution that says they can do that. I mean, obviously, you know, and I know you've talked about this, we've talked about it, that general police powers are reserved to the state. And the 10th Amendment, you know, clearly says that if the Congress doesn't have the power, the federal government has the power, they can't do it. So we clearly, our lawsuit basically is, it doesn't have the power to do this. And even if it did, and this is important, it just points out the hypocrisy of the Biden administration Even if they did, the Equal Protection Clause says everyone has to be treated equal. But as a result of the Biden policies, and this is literally what they're doing, is that if you're one of the more than 200 million people that will cross the border illegally this year, you have the option whether you want the vaccine or not, whether you've been processed by Border Patrol, whether you're in custody, whether you're putting on your flight. But if you're an American citizen, you don't have that same option. Stop, and full so stop,
1: clearly- Attorney uh, General Burnovich, full stop. It's been a long time since I was in law school. But I do remember Equal Protection Clause cases, a lot of them. And I got to tell you, I can't remember any of them where the claim, where the claim was that American citizens are getting worse treatment than illegal immigrants. This is a new day and age for us.
2: Well, it is. Welcome to the Biden administration's um, shredding of the Constitution. And you're exactly right. I mean, this is kind of a, an unusual theory, but, you know, this is something we talk about all the time that, you know, about everyone being treated treated equally under the law. But for the left, so often that means they want, you know, special privileges or they want quotas or whatever, whatever their, you know, big issue, woke issue of the day is. Um, but this is a classic example of. The Biden administration putting the interests of non-citizens over hardworking American citizens, and you know we've seen this as you know in other contexts, and and I just frankly I just it, it breaks my heart, and I think you know we didn't even talk about this, um we haven't talked about this before, but you know they're literally the, the federal government taxpayers are spending millions to help se- secure the border in Afghanistan, but we don't we're not doing anything to secure the border here. There's it's just crazy all the not only intellectual inconsistency but. This this notion that they're going to pick and choose which laws apply to which people—it's just fundamentally wrong.
1: So help me out too, again, and the audience general. Um, we're told that the Supreme Court has long supported uh, 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 government action when it comes to mandatory vaccination. So I dusted off my U.S. reports and I'm looking at these early um, early 20th century cases. Those were states. Those were states where the decisions, if I remember correctly, were about protecting federal rights of the individuals, but that states could do this if they wanted to. And you and I don't have to comment on that right now. But it was never a concession that the federal government had the right to enforce such a thing.
2: Ever. Yeah, and that's that is one of the things that, you know, when you hear people out there in fact I was, you know, at my barber shop over the weekend and I heard someone talking about well the Supreme Court's already said that, you know they can do this and and I didn't want to get in an argument, but I wanted to tell him, like, look, if you're referring to the Jacobson case, yeah, that was a, it. Was a state case, right? And one the other thing that people forget about that case, it was literally a, a one-time five dollar fine, right? So, I mean, you're talking about something that's de minimis, So it really, truly is an option versus what Joe Biden's doing, which is basically saying either you do this or you're going to lose your job or you're going to lose your multi-million dollar government contract if you're a defense contract or something so so that's why it's so problematic and you know there have been recent cases where you know um for example lawsuits over obama during that case you may recall roberts did that twisted pretzel logic where he said it was a tax and not a commerce clause and he literally they literally said the commerce clause does not allow the government the federal government to regulate people cradle to grave and you couldn't force someone to buy insurance under the commerce Clause logic so think about this if the federal government congress can't pass a law that says you have to affirmatively do this unless it's under the tax power how is it that one individual the president of the united states is able to unilaterally say not only do you have to buy something but i'm going to force you to stick it into your body I mean, this is like crazy stuff in some ways and i keep telling my you know people i know out there that are you know uh, democrats and independents and left of center that this is dangerous, and they should appreciate that we cannot see this kind of authority to the federal government. Because if you set this precedent, that means what can a future president not do? I mean, literally, by diktat, they can do whatever they want to do. Even if there's no statute, even if there's no constitutional provision, they can basically say, hey, this is for the public's good, so I'm going to do it. And quite frankly, you know, that, that's what every pin third-world dictators used to justify every time they took control of a, a government.
1: Yeah, Constitution be damned, we're going to do what we want to do, and we'll use any— What What is the novel legal theory, if there is one, that the Biden administration is relying on? This OSHA
2: nonsense? Well, that—you that, that you know, they, they are going to promulgate rules using OSHA, but that is a little bit—I think that'll be—there'll be a separate lawsuit. I mean, this is just the first salvo. This is just kind of the first strike but there will be other lawsuits by other AGs and more lawsuits, including us. But I think what's telling, if you read our pleading, is that, remember, the president's own chief of staff retweeted that this is the ultimate workaround. So think about that. I think the administration themselves know what they're doing is wrong or unconstitutional, but because the left controls so much of the judiciary and they have this hubris and arrogance, they think that, well, if they have good intentions or they think they know what's best for people, they can do it. And as you know, the road to hell is paved with good. And
1: well, great. that is, and it and it also is a peremptory a silencing of any discussion about what actually may be good for people, and it may not be. You know, it may not exactly be the latest thing the Biden administration is thinking about when it comes to COVID mitigation, because they've changed their minds quite a few times. I have a list of fifteen things they've changed their minds yes. on when it comes to COVID. Well, General, you're a busy man. We appreciate Thank that, you, but uh, wanted to Talk give soon. you uh, give you the. Um, audience here to talk about the great work that uh, you are doing in this lawsuit. Thank you for your thank time. You, uh, you betcha. You brother, Steve. God Steve. bless. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the Seth Leeson show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Scott's and Buckeye. Hi, Scott.
0: Well, hello, Seth. Uh, this is the first time I've uh, called into a radio show. But well, I welcome. Our, I was listening to our fine attorney general. I think he has the wrong approach on finding how to beat Biden's unlawful executive order, if I might elaborate. Yep. Well, he elaborated on the Equal Protection Clause. Well, all Biden has to do is expand his already unconstitutional executive order to cover non-citizens. Ah, done. And he starts laughing. But.
1: (laughs) All right,
2: go
0: on. (laughs) But I believe that there is a Fourth, Eighth, and Tenth Amendment protection for the citizens.
1: You bet. You bet. That's the, uh, I believe that, under
0: the Fourth Amendment is the protection of person and papers, you the HIPAA bet. oath. Yep. Under the Eighth Amendment, I believe it's the excessive fines clause. You know, the one of, amendment. No, no, no Scott, a, you're right.
1: There's an, there's an entire warp and woof of individual rights that I think are being violated by this order, an entire warp and woof. And it's important. This is important. I I don't mean it to be legal geekery, but this is why it's important when people say, well, the Supreme Court has already said these things are okay for states to do for states. This is an important distinction for for. Well, certainly to any American that believes we live in a constitutional republic with a division of powers between the federal government and the state government, Uh, certainly leftists have understood that. When it comes to sanctuary cities, ha- ha- haven't they? They under they understand how they understand that they they don't like every federal law on a federal matter, but they don't have rights to violate federal laws on federal matters. They are now the left claiming to intrude on states powers with federal laws that don't have constitutional authority that's why it's important to point this out because in that supreme in those supreme court cases from the early 1900s the cases not only were justifying or defending the state's rights to do this they did so by examining and it's in the case law it's in the case it's in the decision by examining whether federal rights were being violated whether federal rights were being violated by the state order. That was the consideration. The consideration now is the federal government assuming the state's rights, police power, that if they are given this right, as the attorney said, as you're saying, Scott, there's nothing, nothing they can't do. I remember William Buckley once said his definition of a liberal was someone who reached in behind your shower to regulate the temperature of the water. We're pretty much there right now, except now it's the regulation of your body temperature. We have a great guest, Charles Lipson, coming up from the University of Chicago. Great piece he wrote for Real Clear Politics on Biden and the vaccines. Join us for that, won't you? We'll be right back.